was a revolution. I mean, all of a sudden this four-wheel drive rally car appeared and it was clear that uh, everybody else was going to have to change their approach to rallying to maintain their competitive results. Nowadays, everybody talks about the Quattro changed the face of rallying. Well, I, you know, I don't think that's an understatement. With the extra traction of four-wheel drive, you could put more and more and more power on. That's David Ingram. He was there when the icon that is Quattro was born. I'm Alex Goy and this is Audi Behind the Rings. When Quattro was launched in 1980, it was a car, the Audi Quattro. It proved its power in rallying. 23 races were won by Quattro drivers in the Rally World Championship between 1981 and 1985. It was a huge part of one of the most competitive and compelling eras of the sport. At the same time, the Ur Quattro, which literally translates to original Quattro, made the technology accessible to the general public. Now available across the range, Quattro is used to enhance safety, grip and traction in numerous Audi models. From the SQ2 SUV to the e-tron GT, Audi's new all-electric performance car. Over its celebrated 40-year-plus evolution, one thing has remained constant. Quattro equals performance. To explore how Quattro's now legendary tale unfolded, I'm going to meet Harold DeMuth and David Ingram. Harold, a former factory test driver for Audi, won the German Rally Championship twice in a Group B Quattro. David is an expert on all things Audi. During his time with the brand for 34 years, David earned widespread respect for his impressive product technical knowledge and his genuine enthusiasm for cars and motorsport. The man's knowledge is, well, You'll see. Oh, and obviously we all met up in inverted commas remotely with everyone joining from various corners of the world and having to grapple with various bits of tech. All the fun of the fair during a pandemic. So, hello, gentlemen. Welcome to my cupboard. Willkommen in mein Schrank. And this honestly is a cupboard. Anyway, let's uh, kick off with David, you joined Audi in 1978 as a junior clerk when Audi was still relatively unknown. I actually have, I have two questions. The first is what did a junior clerk do? And the second is when did you first hear about Quattro? Well, yes, uh, my, my first job was compiling the orders from the UK dealer network, putting them into a, a big lump and then sending it across to Germany for meeting their production targets. So it was a kind of a six weeks in advance. Uh, you can have so many of these, so many of those, so many of those. So I'd go through to the dealer network with all their requirements and with a fairly fledgling computer system, try to marry the stuff all up. It was uh, a joint Volkswagen and Audi job at that time. But being a car enthusiast from well, as far back as I can remember, I used to read all the, the car magazines and car magazine in particular were starting to show some scoop fuzzy photos of Audi's four wheel drive supercar and not being in a 
the privileged position that I had later on in the company, I didn't have all the inside information. So all my information at that time was coming from Car Magazine. And I thought, goodness me, wow, what is this? This is something really special. Earlier on in the series, we had Andrew Doyle, you know, the, the man at the top of Audi UK, mentioned in the first episode of this series that Quattro was a bit of a happy accident during the testing of a Jeep prototype. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was. I mean, like a lot of manufacturers, the development phase of cars involves going out, driving them in different conditions, hot and cold conditions. And in the late 70s, Audi were developing a four-wheel drive military vehicle for the German army, a car that uh, became the Volkswagen Iltis. And one of the engineers, Jörg Benzinger, noted how much more capable this car was, this four-cylinder 1700cc prototype was, than much more powerful Audi prototypes. It occurred to him that, well, if this car with such a small engine is so much more capable than our more powerful cars, then clearly the four-wheel drive system is something that we perhaps could exploit with the rest of the model range. He mentioned it to his boss, Ferdinand Pieck, who kind of slept on it overnight and then said, OK, well, let's, let's, let's have a go. Let's put together a prototype and um, see if we can get some progress with it and see if we can get the board to sign it off. And I suppose that was the biggest worry. The um, Audi were developing the car. They could develop what they want. But unless the, the decision makers in Wolfsburg at head office for Volkswagen approved the project, it wasn't going to work. So the guys at Audi built this prototype, the latest prototype of the Quattro, which by then had evolved from being in a uh, a two-door Audi 80 body to a two-door Audi Coupe body shell with a few modifications, took it to one of the steepest roads in Austria in the middle of winter. It's at this point I'm imagining someone saying, now, gentlemen, watch this. (laughs) Well, pretty well like that, actually. Yes, the car was on regular tyres rather than winter tyres. And the board members were just uh, invited into the car to drive it and see for themselves. It's, It's easy to say the rest was history because clearly they saw that the car was something special. And the discussions soon turned round into how many of these can we build? An interesting little adjunct to this is one of the board members decided that he should liberate this car for the weekend so that his wife and he could go to Vienna. Now, at the time, the prototype didn't have a central differential. It had a differential at the front, differential at the back, but no centre differential. And driving on more adhesive roads, so drier roads, no snow in the middle of Vienna, the board member's wife said that the car felt a bit juddery <laughs> as the wheels were sort of scrabbling for grip. So that led to the introduction of a centre differential in the car as well, which is how it appeared in its first production. Oh, well, I genuinely thought that story was going to end and then, then he crashed it and then it almost <laughs> the whole programme was, was ended. Uh, but actually, no, the board member's wife did some really useful R&D for us. Exactly right. Exactly right. And this is, I suppose, the advantage of somebody who's not an engineer driving the car so they could give ordinary feedback rather than an engineer's, oh, I know why it's doing that. 
so that's okay. So it was a, a useful piece of development exercise, without question. I mean, at, at the time, traditional four-wheel drive cars were, were fairly cumbersome. How do you make it simpler? How did it do that? This was one of the things that Benzinger wanted to do. Four-wheel drive systems traditionally were quite heavy and complex. And the Audi team worked out a way of converting, if you like, a front-wheel drive car to a four-wheel drive car simply by taking a drive shaft out of the back of the gearbox rather than conventionally having an additional gearbox to take drive to the front. So they were using sort of one set of gears to distribute drive to all four wheels with as we've just mentioned, the, the, the addition of the centre differential to take up any differential in speed when the car is going round corners. So the system was simpler, simpler, lighter, so it didn't sap so much of the car's power as well. And it was more compact, so it could be fitted inside any conventional front-wheel drive Audi, ultimately, as happened after more years of success with the Quattro. That sounds like a pretty stellar eureka moment, and at the same time offering, you know, uh, well, allowing cars to go up slipperier, nastier, dodgier conditions, which is where it comes into its own. So what kind of impact was there when that all kicked off? Well, of course, the, the snowy winter conditions is an extreme, but if you take, for example, the UK, more than 50% of days on average are wet and wet roads are obviously more slippery than dry roads and with cars becoming more and more powerful all the time I mean at the time the Quattro was launched with 200 brake horsepower which was quite something at the time back mm. in 1980. Putting 200 brake horsepower through a front wheel driven car you're kind of on the edge of traction possibilities without the modern electronic aids that cars have today. So by putting the 200 brake horsepower through four wheels instead of two, it's going to double effectively the potential traction that you have. So it makes the driving experience much easier and much safer. The problem is that in many ways the car was too good. There was a lot of hype around the car at its launch. What about you? When was your first brush with the Quattro? Well, I was very fortunate to have um, moved from my junior clerk level um, in 1980 into the Audi marketing department just before the arrival of the Quattro. So my timing was impeccable. And one of the things I was tasked with was helping the logistics behind the, the, the unveiling of the Quattro in the UK, which we did on the top of the roof gardens in Kensington. It was the car from the Geneva Motor Show where the car was unveiled globally for the first time. So they, there weren't too many kicking around at the time. And uh, the only way to get it onto the roof gardens was to hoist it up. So we'd uh, rented in this crane and um, the German uh, guard had driven the car carefully onto this little platform which was then hoisted up onto the top of the roof gardens looking very precarious swinging slightly in the rainy breeze that was uh, <laughs> was around on that uh, particular Sunday morning and then dropped it onto this uh, little display area on the top of the gardens ready for the unveiling the following day, which fortunately was bright and sunny, beautiful, and uh, the car looked a uh, million dollars. Yeah, I mean, that sounds uh, tense. You have the one car that was unveiled to the world and you've got to put it on a crane. Yeah, 
Mm. I think I think it was we showed the board members the pictures afterwards rather than tell them what we were going to do with it. <laughs> so when did you get to drive it? And what what did you feel when you drove it? Because you know, you're a car enthusiast, you've been yes. given this car. It was quite a responsibility of course because uh, what it was decided I was again amazingly entrusted to take one of the first cars that came into the UK permanently across to the Isle of Man for a motor show that was taking place in Douglas. So I was to drive the car from our headquarters in Milton Keynes up to Liverpool to get on the Isle of Man steam packet ferry across to Douglas and then into the exhibition hall where it was going to be on display for I think it was five or six days. It was a, it was a big responsibility but I felt really proud of being able to drive this car I would have to say fairly gently up to Liverpool <laughs> clearly if I was going to damage the car that would probably have curtailed my career at Audi so um, it 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 all went swimmingly well but what an experience so you may have driven it more shall we say gingerly you may have been careful with it and definitely not put your foot down and enjoyed all 200 horses um, but the obvious thing when you've got a car with such performance, such potential, is to take it rallying. And that's something that Audi mm. very much did. So can you talk us through that? Well, yes. Well, this uh, this evolved from, I mean, Ferdinand Pieck, who was the, the head of R&D for Audi at the time, he could clearly see the potential. And Audi was comparatively unknown at the time. And so what better way to put... Audi onto the world stage than to go into motorsport and the obvious battleground for the Quattro was rallying. Now at the time the FIA didn't allow four-wheel drive in rallying so that was one obstacle that had to be overcome. The regulations simply didn't allow it. During the late 70s um, we mentioned the Iltis, the vehicle that Audi was developing for the German military. Well the car was entered into a couple of Paris-Dakar events in the late 70s. So when Head of Motorsport for Audi went along to the FIA meeting, he sort of casually dropped into the conversation, well, you know, would, would you have any objection if we um, requested that four-wheel drive would be allowed in World Championship events? And uh, the other competitors, knowing that Audi was entering this Iltis into the Paris-Dakar later on that year, they thought, well, that's not going to be a, a, any trouble for us. Yeah, fine, no, no problem. So four-wheel drive was allowed in, and then, of course, the um, the Quattro burst onto the scene. Like a pool shark. Oh, me, um, I'm rubbish at this game. Oh, but actually, <laughs> tell a lie. Yes, look at this. Um, the, 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 the Quattro wasn't homologated until the beginning of 81, but in late 1980, in the Algarve Rally in Portugal... Audi ran one as a zero car. Had it been competing, it would have won by about 20 minutes. <laughs> Hanno Mikola was driving the car, and I think he gave a pretty good demonstration of how competent this four-wheel drive car was going to be, obviously, on the loose and slippery conditions of a typical rally. I mean, that sounds like the, the moment those timings came through, I think I can still hear the echo of every other manufacturer <laughs> gasping. <so. gasps> we're in trouble guys but Harold it's here that we, we need to bring you in because rallying is obviously your specialist subject now group B it was banned uh, for being too dangerous in what 1987 which is when I was one and so there'll be me and plenty of other people listening who didn't 
really get to witness it, didn't get to experience this legendary era of motorsport. So can you tell us about the, the thrills and the spills and, and what happened in a Group B motor? I think the most important and the most overwhelming thing was the acceleration of this car because you had four wheels which bring the whole power of the engine on the ground. You have, didn't lose any power. Uh, you had grip all the time and it doesn't matter if it was snow, if it was gravel, if it was tarmac, the acceleration was really great. To this point, I didn't drive such powerful cars. And later, we realized that it was in combination with the turbocharged engine. That was really a great, great step in rallying. I mean, with turbo and all-wheel drive, I mean, how big a step change was that? Well, it was another dimension, really. I, I remember from the one technic guy, he said, we don't need wing extensions on this car because we go with eight-inch rims the standard tires will be enough. So we don't have to, to need wider tires because the car is so good. But on the other side, it was not so easy to drive. Because in a front-wheel driven car, you have understeering normally when you press the pedal. In a rear-wheel driven car, you have oversteering and suddenly you have both. And you didn't know when and why. <laughs> and I found out because I was involved in starting 70, 1979 with the first test. So I was involved quite early. And it was helpful that my last rally car was an Audi 80 with front wheel drive. So there was a, because so, at, at that point you were, you were really using, I mean, what could arguably be described as frontier technology. This is, this is completely new. Who could you talk to for advice on it? It was the big problem. We couldn't compare. We couldn't say, now we look what the other guys did with the same car. So we had to solve the problems by ourselves. I'll give you one example. We had a big problem with the rear brakes because the pads were gone immediately. You, you also have not four-wheel drive. You also had four-wheel brake. And that means the brakes in the back were too small. <laughs> But you, 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 you managed it simply by being incredibly brave and going, right, guys, let's see what happens if. Uh, well, it was really a sort of try and error. What I would like to know is when you were putting this car together, when you were learning how it worked, were you aware of what you were, what you were sat on and how important it, it would be, not only for Audi, but also for you know, the commercialisation of all-wheel drive? No. <laughs> Really not. How can we keep the car on the road? How can we make the car reliable? How can we win the rallies? That was our aiming. But if it's important for history, if we did something which is, you see, 40 years later, always uh, interesting. Harold's talking about the job that he was doing and he and his colleagues were doing. Looking in from, from where we were sitting, it was a revolution. I mean, all of a sudden, this, this four-wheel drive rally car appeared and it was clear that uh, everybody else was going to have to change their approach to rallying to maintain their competitive results. And I think, you know, now, nowadays everybody talks about the Quattro 
changed the face of rallying. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think that's an understatement. It put Audi on the map without question, and it changed rallying. And all of a sudden, the cars could become more and more powerful. Not only just Audis, but the other competitor rally cars, with the extra traction of four-wheel drive that they were also then developing, you could put more and more and more power on until it came to the time when, well, the, the, the power was almost absurd. I mean, they were, they were getting probably too fast for comfort. I mean, what, what kind of power are we talking here? Harold, can you, can you shed some light on that? Uh, well, we started with 320 horsepowers. And let's say in end of 1982, the best engines were about 350 horsepower. And in the end, with the S1 E2, the winged car, for the specification for Pikes Peak, I think uh, the motor power started with a 7 before. This is the thing that blows my mind. This is this is the 80s. So right now we're talking about starting with a car that's more powerful than if off the top of my head, memory serves uh, an Audi S3. So a car you can buy today. The rally car was obviously, obviously the race car is going to be more powerful than that, of course, because it's a it, it's a race car. But then you get to the the proper top end and we're thinking right now we've got 40 years of um, of development that's gone into it. And still, it's more powerful than the most powerful production car Audi makes today. So, obviously, you can you can drive, but how well did you know the tech in the cars? How familiar were you with what was under the skin? Well, when you are a rally driver, you are more involved in the technique. When you are a race driver and you have some problem on the race track, you could stop and the race is over. Uh, when you have a problem with the rally car, you jump out and try to do something and fix anything. And I should be able to repair my car when it's possible. Now you've you've you know we've talked about various different uh, terrains and environments that you've driven through. David has discussed how that how Quattro is developed for that job. So where was your favourite place to get your Quattro on? Definitely, it was the unknown stages, England and Great Britain, where you go with full speed through the forest and you, did, you don't know if the corner is tight or wide and where are junctions that I loved very much. And that was really for the Quattro on the gravel in Kielder Forest, Yorkshire Forest, or in, in Wales. It was really great. And put in the next gear, crest, blind crest. Oh, it's really going straight. That's good. <laughs> oh, I'm not landing and there's a right-hand turn. Was it? Is it because it was so unknown? Was that why? I cannot describe it in, in English, but uh, for me as a driver inside, it was really the feeling that's rallying. To go with a car on a track, which you don't know, as fast as possible. But uh, on the other side, you have the system with the co-driver. He's reading the pace notes, which the driver is telling him in the practice and he is reading the pace notes during the event. But if you do that alone, you have to, to look where are the trees, where are the crests and the street, the corners. I, I liked it very much. I'm jealous, but also could never do that because that sounds objectively terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to I want to talk to you about a very very famous Audi TV ad from 1986, where an Audi 100 Quattro is being driven up a Finnish ski jump in the snow, and the man driving that car is 
you. How did you get that job? Um, and how many times did you have to do the stunt to get the take? Uh, I always say I was young and needed the money. No. <laughs> the idea was from the advertising company in, in Germany to prove how steep a car could go. And so we went to Austria, went on a normal ski ground and tried to go as steep as possible. Then we measured the angle and said, can work. It was more than 20 degrees minus Celsius. The colder the ice is, the more grip you have. You've made something that's, that was visibly amazing. It's like, well, it's really easy. Car can do it. Which I suppose is the point. So actually, yeah, the, the advert really did work. How, how many runs did you have to do? Uh, with a helicopter also, I think it was 13 times I had to go up. It didn't work all the time. Sometimes uh, you stopped a little earlier. And the critical point was to start that the wheels are not getting wheel spin. Then, then you are lost. Just find this point uh, with the clutch and the throttle. Uh, yeah, now, now it's working. But it's that's also a thing. Uh, it was maybe 20 years ago, and people are talking about it. As legacies go, of the many things you've done, like so much of it is still being talked about. And you know, I, I remember my dad was talking to me about that Audi ad. Back in the back in the nineties, maybe early noughties. Like, oh, have you seen this? No. Like, well, well, we need to seek it out. Um, when the Quattro came out at its launch, there was a huge amount of hype around it. Could either of you have predicted that it would have one been the hit it was, and two that it endured the way it did? I think when the Quattro was launched, it was an exclusive limited production special car, and I don't think anybody within the organisation predicted how successful it was going to be as a car initially. The sales team in Germany thought, well, we might sell 400 of them. There was nothing to compare it with. There was, there was, there was no established market for this kind of car. Uh, Five-cylinder, turbocharged, intercooled, four-wheel drive coupe. I mean, it was the only one on the planet. In the end... The car went on to sell 11,452 examples, so it was a gamble that paid off. Now, David, that's a few more than a couple of hundred. It is, it is. And, of course, because the initial plan allowed for 400, there wasn't a right-hand drive car tooled up. The production of right-hand drive wasn't envisaged. Now, we, of course, in the UK were pushing for right-hand drive because... The response to it was so positive. We thought, we, you know, we can do good business with this car. And we commissioned an engineer, race driver, the late Richard Lloyd. His company converted one to right-hand drive, which we took to head office in Germany and said, look, you know, if we can do it, you can do it. Now, OK, they knew they could do it. It was just stacking up the finances. But fortunately, they went with us. Uh, we committed to selling the car in bigger numbers than originally planned. Right-hand drive production started in 82, I believe it was. And we went on selling the car until 1991. So it was a huge success in its own right, but of course also a success from a technology point of view because it went on from being the Audi Quattro to then being a Quattro version of, first of all, the Audi 80 and then the Audi 90 
and then the Audi 100 and the 200 and the Coupe. So it became a technological feature that was available on more and more models throughout the Audi range. And of course, it still plays a big role in Audi's production cars today. Well, we've, we've spoken at length about where Quattro's come from. Now let's look a little bit at the future. It's now very much a part of the e-tron GT, the, the all-electric performance Audi. Do you think it will continue to be a part of Audi's DNA? I, I think unquestionably it will become part of Audi's DNA. It is part of Audi's DNA. After rallying, we went into circuit racing and proved Quattro on the track as well. And of course, our our very last thus far competitive year at Le Mans in 2016, we were with the uh, the R18 e-tron Quattro with a conventional engine driving the rear wheels, electric motor driving the front wheels. And with the controllability, if you like, of uh, electric motors for cars, you can deliver the optimum power to either the front wheels or the rear wheels, depending on the conditions. And that is exactly what the e-tron range can offer to Audi customers today. I'm convinced when Audi is starting a project, it will have success. They have proved in motorsport, in, in standard cars, they always had this uh, slogan, Vorsprung durch Technik, you know what it means. And I'm quite sure uh, when we are starting a new era with electric cars, Audi will have the best. I'm convinced. Well, gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time from here in that there London. Thank you very much, boys. Thank you. Thank you. You'd be hard-pressed to find two more passionate, experienced men from the motoring world if you tried. Thank you so much to David Ingram and Harold DeMuth for sharing so many unbelievable stories and for giving me a crash course in rallying. That world's all pretty new to me. I'll be back next week with the last episode in the series of Audi Behind the Rings. I've been waiting for this one for a very, very long time. Brace yourself, that's a note for me, not for you, because I'll be geeking out about cars and possibly even a bit about sci-fi with... Well, that's all the clue I'm going to give you. I'll say no more. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye.